Our scripture uh, this morning comes from Daniel chapter 9, and, and we're going to be looking there at verses 1 through 19. So if you have your Bible with you, I'd encourage you to go ahead and grab those and, and turn there with me. We've been making our way uh, through this Old Testament prophet for, for the past couple of months now. We've been walking together uh, really with him and his own experience uh, with the Lord. And so in that way, the, the book is a witness to us. Um, of who God is and, and His faithfulness to His people. And, and today, we're going to be starting there in verse 1 of chapter 9. So if you're willing and able, I'd ask you to stand with me uh, as we look together to God in His Word, uh, to us as His people, here in His place, under His rule uh, today. This is Daniel chapter 9, starting in verse 1. In the first year of Darius, the son of Ahasuerus, By descent a Mede, who was made king over the realm of the Chaldeans, in the first year of his reign, I, Daniel, perceived in the books the number of years that according to the word of the Lord to Jeremiah the prophet must pass before the end of the desolations of Jerusalem, namely seventy years. Then I turned my face to the Lord God, seeking Him by prayer and pleas for mercy with fasting and sackcloth, And ashes. This is the word of the Lord. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, we ask you to speak to us through your word this morning. As as we come in here with things uh, vying for our attention, uh, trying to distract us, or even our own minds kind of warring against us right now, I pray that you would help that to melt away. Like help that stuff to just kind of kind of fall to the side and allow us to be present here with you. I pray that you'd help us to just be here today. And I pray that in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. Over the last few weeks, as we've been walking through uh, these visions of the Lord, like we've been really honest about these visions. These visions have been super weird, all right? There's a lot of imagery in there that's hard to grab hold of. Visions of beasts, visions of rams and goats and horns and all that stuff. Uh, Visions of what is to come in the future. Uh, the consistent theme has been this simple truth. Like This has been the simple truth that we keep coming back to week after week. It's that God is in control, right? That, that's been the chorus <laughs> that we keep coming back to, that God is in control. So all these empires, they rise and they fall, but God is in control. And through all these kings who achieve power and status and prominence in the world and who, and who run over people along the way and who begin to think of themselves, even just themselves, as, as little gods, we keep coming back to the truth that God is in control. It's the chorus. It's been like the refrain of the whole book up to this point that God is in control. When everything is going well, God is in control. When the wheels and everything else are falling off, God is in control. And so regardless of our temporal circumstances, wherever we find ourselves, God is in control. In the church, we call this, uh, we call this the sovereignty of God. That's the phrase there that we, you'll, you'll hear from time to time to describe that God is in control. It's called the sovereignty of God. It's the spiritual reality that plays out in the physical reality of creation. That, that God is working all things according to the counsel of His will for His own glory. And genuinely, all right, here, here's the truth. I want you to hear this. That is what I would hope 
that you would be able to tell someone who asks you about what we are talking about in worship. Like just assuming that the people in your workplace know you're a believer. Assuming that the people in your workplace know that on that it was Sunday yesterday, so that dude was in church, or that, that mother, that lady, whatever, not, not just the guys, but all, everyone, everybody was in church, and so that they would know that, they would know that about you, and they might ask you, what are y'all talking about in church? That you could say, yeah, we've been going through the book of Daniel together. Um, it's weird, super weird, and, it, but, and in that weirdness, it shows us that the Bible understands that in the chaos and, and in the madness of the world around us, okay, God sees us, He sees it, He knows it, and He's, he's not blind to all that, and He understands not just that the world is broken, uh, but, but He understands our place in that broken world, and, and even though, and even through it all, right, every peak and every valley, every loss and every victory, what's the chorus, right? That God is in control. I can't think of a more important thing for you to know right now as we find ourselves in this chaotic world. And then we come to the first part of Daniel 9. And we've been through all of these visions. We're looking back at them from, we look, at back at these, we look back at these visions with some sort of a, a different vantage point, right? We're looking back on them where we can see how God has already brought some of them to fulfillment. I mean, we can trace history and go, yeah, that was that, was that beast or that was, that was the ram. I mean, like we have names that Daniel didn't have. Remember last week we talked about Alexander the goat boy coming across and, and running over everything. I mean, we didn't really call him the goat boy. He would not have liked that either. Um, but we can see this playing out in real space and in real time from our, from our vantage point. And we've been confessing how even through all of that, God is in control. Just coming back to that chorus over and over again. We're worse than like a modern praise song, man. We will sing that chorus over and over and over and over and over. That's what Daniel's been doing. And, and that's what we're looking at today. We come to this prayer. Instead of another vision like we might have expected, another vision of what's to come. Today we come to this prayer. It's this prayer of Daniel, and it really sets us. Here's what we're going to do. This will be a little bit different message than what we've been doing in Daniel, but it really sets a pattern for us in how we, how we can and how we probably ought to be praying in our own lives. And we're going to focus here on three things as we go through this. Uh, we're going to see the priority of prayer. We're going to see the posture of prayer. And we're going to see the petition of prayer. So those are the three things. If you're, if you're one of those great note takers, we're going to see the priority, the posture, and the petition of prayer. And so the first thing is that priority of prayer. And, and, and right out of the gate, when we see Daniel in chapter 9, we're reminded, right, that this isn't the first time we've seen Daniel in prayer. We remember back in Daniel 6 where, where the other high officials, you remember this scene, we were in, this, we were in Daniel 6 on Easter Sunday, so a few weeks ago, uh, where the other high officials in the kingdom, they were, they were motivated by jealousy, maybe even motivated by some thoughts of ethnic or cultural superiority, and they sought to entrap Daniel, right? It's what led to him being thrown to the lions. And what we read there was that the king had, had signed this decree that, that nobody could petition any god except for him. It was Daniel 6.10, that, and, and what it says is that when he knew, this is Daniel, when Daniel knew that the document had been signed, he went to his house where he had windows in his upper chamber open toward Jerusalem. He got down on his knees three times a day and prayed and gave thanks before his God as he had done previously. Three times a day, 
praying before God, giving thanks before his God as he had done previously. So that's more than just a habit. And that's more than just a habit. This isn't like, like this isn't just like biting your nails or something like that that you just do. This is a commitment. Like if we were honest, this is what we would call a discipline. It's a cultivated spiritual discipline. And some of us, I think, I think this is true. Some of us hear, some of us hear that daily commitment. And I need you to be honest, right? It's okay. We we try to at Rivercrest just be honest. Like we don't try to try to act like we don't live in the real world. So we should be honest. When we hear that Daniel got down on his knees and that Daniel prayed three times a day. I know that some of you, like me, probably wonder how in the world he had time to do that. I mean, I don't, I don't like to admit that to you, but the reality is I find myself going, who has time to get down on their knees? By the way, actually got down on his knees. So like, that's not a euphemism. He actually got down on his knees. I've told you all the story about getting caught on my knees in prayer one time and being mortified. Laurie walked in and was like, well, are you okay? Did you fall? Like, what's going on? I'm like, amen. Nope, good, good. Everything's fine here. Nothing, nothing to see because it's such a lost thing in our culture, this idea of actually bowing down. I mean, we're not good at it. We're not, we don't have the humility in and of ourselves to just do that, but to physically get on your knees, to assume an actual physical posture before God, to do that three times a day. As we run around from task to task, picking up kids here, dropping off the dog there, whatever, sitting and watching. You can't miss that time sitting and watching friends for two hours a night with your family or whatever. Like you got to make sure you carve out that time or the newest Marvel movie. We got to make sure we go see that because, you know, whatever, Dr. Strange is super weird. We got to go see that and, and we got to do these things. We got so much to do. Who has time to, to kneel and pray three times a day? I mean, I, I'm, I wish I were kidding. Oh, I get paid to pray. And I don't get on my knees three times a day. I mean, I should. Like, there should be. You should come into my office and be like, oh, man, you got a carpet problem. What are these two random holes here? Well, that's my knee spots. Sorry. Like, Laurie should have to be replacing pants for me all the time. What do you keep doing, man? What's wrong with your pants? I just pray all the time. No, we're bad at that, man. We're bad at it. Where are we supposed to find the margin in our schedules to pray like that? I've actually had that question in my own heart. It feels like a burden. When I read that Daniel did that three times a day, and and I'm not telling you be like Daniel. We've steered very clear of the dare to be a Daniel philosophy as we approach this book. But it almost feels like a burden on me. I feel guilt. I feel shame that I don't do this Well, it feels like another impossible task. Maybe you feel that too. And so here's what I want to be honest with you. I don't want to totally let you off the hook. I mean, I do because I want to be off the hook, but I don't want to totally let you off the hook. What I want to tell you is this fundamental truth, and here it is, is that people do what they want to do. People do what they value. You do what you value. And the reason most of us don't have a very dynamic prayer life is not because we don't have time. I promise you, your screen time report, if you dare to look at it, begs to differ with how much time you have to just spend. And it's not because we aren't in need, by the way. That's also not the reason we don't pray. It's not that we don't pray. 
We don't pray because we're not in need, but it's because, here it is, it's because we don't understand who it is that's listening when we pray. The reason most of us don't have a dynamic prayer life is because we see it largely as a one-way street rather than an actual conversation with God. But what we know from these first few verses is that Daniel's prayer is more than just that. It's more than just him laying out his needs before the, the ether or the cosmos. It's more than that. It's more than him going, hey God, if you're out there, like, hey God, if you're really out there, would you, would you help me out? Hey God, if you're really out there, really use a, a healing here. Hey God, if you're really out there, I could really use some help in this conflict in my life. Hey God, if you're really out there, could you just maybe help my work situation to straighten itself out? It's more than that. Because what we see right here is that his prayers were saturated with the word of God. That's the very first thing that we say. Right there in verse 2, we find that Daniel has been reading his Bible. That's what it says there. It calls it uh, the books. You could also translate it as the scrolls or the scriptures. Specifically, he's been reading the word of the Lord to Jeremiah the prophet. So, so listen, it's easy for us. I, I want to, here's another confession. It's easy for us to think that Daniel would have had some impossible to get relationship with God because of his place as an Old Testament prophet. Like we can see him in his three times daily prayer and kind of go, well, yeah, of course Daniel would be doing that, but I'm no Daniel. I don't have the access that Daniel had. He's, he's having dreams and visions of the future. And yeah, I mean, okay, that's unique. All right. That, that, that is, that's unique. But what we see Two is, is that Daniel wasn't sitting around waiting for the next vision. Like you don't see him going, hey God, if you could just tell me what's to come. He doesn't do that. But he was actively seeking the will and the wisdom of God through the word of God. That was his discipline. This was his commitment. And, and so as much as we might like to convince, to convince ourselves that it's not the same for us, the truth is that we have the same access today that Daniel had then. You and I have the same access. The truth is that we have the same scriptures in our Bible today that Daniel had back then. And it continues in verse 4. Look at that. He says this. He says, I prayed to the Lord my God and made confession, saying, O Lord, the great and awesome God who keeps covenant and steadfast love with those who love him and keep his commandments. And by the way, none of that's actually very original to Daniel. None of what he just said right there is actually an original statement. Daniel's not flexing his creativity here in prayer. He's not trying to come up with some new profound expression so that God might acknowledge him. No, no, this is just more scripture. That word of adoration in verse 4, that's Exodus 20 language. That's where that comes from. It comes from Exodus 20. It's Exodus 20 where God is meeting with Moses up on the mountain. He's giving Moses the Ten Commandments. That's Exodus 20. So it's a familiar passage. And God promises in Exodus 26 to show steadfast love to thousands of those who love me and keep my commandments. But it's not just, it's not just Exodus language, it's also Deuteronomy 7 language, that the Lord your God is God, the faithful God who keeps covenant and steadfast love with those who love him and keep his commandments to a, to a thousand generations. That's what it says in Deuteronomy 7, 9. To a thousand generations is what we sing, right? It's God's blessing to your family and your children and their children and their children. Here's the point. Daniel knows his Bible. Like Daniel knows his Bible. This is what Paul wants for us in Colossians 3, where he, where he says to let the word of Christ dwell in you richly. 
That's what's happening here. And what happens is that when God's word begins to dwell in us richly, when the promises of God begin to dwell in us richly, the promises are the catalyst for the prayers. One of our elders, almost every time he leads in prayer, he's never once asked the church to sing happy birthday or anything so ridiculous as that. But one of our elders, who's now, I guess, the more faithful elder than this guy over here, anyway, whatever. Sorry, I'm, I'm holding a grudge. I need to let that go. I'll pray for my heart. Uh, pray for my heart in that. Don't, don't be vengeful or whatever. Um, one of our elders, every time he leads us in prayer, and I love this, every time, I love consistency, and he says this every single time, he'll say something like, how great is it that we have a God who wants to hear from us? You, you, and if you think back on our guys who come up here and pray, you'll, you'll, you'll go, yeah, I've heard that before. How great is it that we have a God who wants to hear from us? I, I love that reminder. Every single time he says that, I think, yeah, that's incredible. That we have a God who wants to hear from us. That God's not, that God's not staring at his phone. That he's not busy cooking dinner, right? He isn't watching the game. That he is undistracted and God is undivided in his and his desire to hear from us as his children, that the door is open, right? That God is present and active here. But, but there's another side to that. Like, yes, God wants to hear from us. That's a beautiful reality. But how amazing is it that we have a God who wants to speak to us? Like, how great is it that the creator of all things, visible and invisible, the one who speaks, he just speaks and things happen, who speaks creation into being by the word of his power, how great is it that he also wants to speak to us? That the God of the universe has something to say to you. That he wants to tell us something. Think about that. This is what drives Daniel to pray. It's God's word. And by the way, that's the same word that we have on our laps here today. All right, so now look at verse 5 with me. That's the practice of prayer, the discipline of prayer, the commitment of prayer. It's calling on the name of the Lord. But here in verse 5, we see the posture of prayer. In verse 5, we see the posture, and it begins with confession. Look at that. He says this. He says, We have sinned and done wrong and acted wickedly and rebelled turning aside from your commandments and rules. We have not listened to your servants, the prophets, who spoke in your name to our kings, our princes, and our fathers, and to all the people of the land. To you, O Lord, belongs righteousness. But to us, open shame, as at this day, to the men of Judah, to the inhabitants of Jerusalem, and to all Israel, those who are near and those who are far away, and all the lands to which you have driven them, because of the treachery that they have committed against you. To us, O Lord, belongs open shame. To our kings, to our princes, and to our fathers, because we have sinned against you. To the Lord our God belong mercy and forgiveness, for we have rebelled against him and have not obeyed the voice of the Lord our God by walking in his laws, which he set before us by his servants, the prophets. All Israel has transgressed your law and turned aside, refusing to obey your voice. And the curse and oath that are written in the law of Moses, the servant of God, have been poured out upon us because we have sinned against him. He has confirmed his words, which he spoke against us and against our rulers who ruled us by bringing upon us a great calamity. For under the whole heaven, there has not been anything 
like what has been done against Jerusalem. As it is written in the law of Moses, all this calamity has come upon us, yet we have not entreated the favor of the Lord our God, turning from our iniquities and and gaining insight by your truth. Therefore the Lord has kept ready the calamity and has brought it upon us. For the Lord our God is righteous in all the works that that he has done, and we have not obeyed his voice. Dale Ralph Davis calls this, um, he calls this the sad content of prayer. The sad content of prayer. We might just call it the nature of our present reality. It's really just Daniel working through the fundamental truths of his life. He, can, he continues in adoration, okay? He comes back to the nature and the character of God. That's why we have that question in there for our community groups every single week. I don't know how many of y'all are meeting on, on, on Mother's Day, so I'll just give you the answer. What does this passage tell us about the nature and the character of God? It tells us everything. It tells us all about the nature of character of God. In verse 4, God is the Lord God. That's Yahweh. That's God's covenant name that he gave to his people. He's, he is great and awesome. In verse 7, it's to God alone that belongs righteousness. In verse 9, it's to the Lord our God belong mercy and forgiveness. Verse 10 is a reminder that God has a voice and that God speaks. Verse 11 reminds us that God has given his law, that he has an order that God, the Creator, also has an order and purpose for His creation. You see, Daniel doesn't just start talking. He doesn't get on his knees three times a day and just start going, man, my knees hurt. God, if you could help with that. Like, that's not what he's doing here. He reminds himself always of, of who it is that he's talking to. And in that, right, as he thinks about and remembers who God is and his righteousness and his holiness, here's that sad content of the prayers. He rehearses those truths of who God is. It shines a light on the reality of who Daniel is. And it leads him to confession. It's this recognition of his own hopelessness apart from the grace of God. And this is our, listen, and this is our condition, right? This is how we find ourselves in the world. Look at, look at all the we's and ours's in this passage. Did you notice that? How many, I don't know if ours is a word, by the way. If you're an English teacher and you judge me right now, that's on you, okay? I don't know, I don't know how you're supposed to, there's just a whole lot of we's and a whole lot of ours's, okay, that are in there. There's a whole lot of us and a whole lot of all. Like there, if you read that, if you actually take your pen and highlight it, it actually gets really obnoxious because I did that in mine and now every word in there is underlined. All right, it's just one big underline throughout the entire thing. The whole thing has this corporate appeal to it. I think Andrew, we didn't plan this out, but Andrew, as he prayed earlier, was like, not just that I have a Savior, but that we have a Savior. That he calls us to be a people. From verse 4 to verse 14, there are 22 unique times where Daniel confesses their corporate sin. 22 Times He doesn't just point out the sin of the people around him, right? That's not his game. He doesn't say, and look at these fools over here. He doesn't do that. He do, he's not, you remember that scene in, in Luke uh, 18 where, where Jesus gives the parable of the Pharisee and the tax collector? Remember that scene? He's not like that Pharisee praying at the temple in Luke 18 saying, God, I thank you that I am that I'm not like other men, right? He doesn't do that. God, thank you. It's not Daniel. By the way, Daniel's literally a prophet of God. God speaks to him like seemingly audibly through dreams. And he's not going, oh, thank you. That I'm not like those other fools. Remember that guy? And then he gives a list of the people who really need God's forgiveness. The Pharisee does that. He, not only does he just say that, he, just, he also makes a list. 
He's like, thank you that I'm not like the robbers. Thank you that I'm not like the crooks. Thank you that I'm not like the adulterers. And then he gets super sketchy, right? The Pharisees just super sketchy. Like, thanks that I'm not like this guy. Now, Daniel looks much more like the tax collector in that, in that parable who came. And, and Jesus said that this man, this tax collector, they came and he stood far off. That's the way he described him. He stood off alone by himself and, and would not even lift up his eyes to heaven. But he beat his breast saying, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. That is the posture of prayer. Like the song says, I come broken to be mended. I come wounded to be healed. I come desperate to be rescued. I come empty to be filled. This is our posture before a holy and righteous God, before a great and awesome God, seeing the kindness of God. Here's what it says in Romans 2, 4, that it's meant to lead us to repentance. So that is our posture. That's, that's our posture as we come to the Lord in prayer. Now look at verse 15. Here, here's, here's what it says in 15. And now, O Lord our God, who brought your people out of the land of Egypt with a mighty hand and have made a name for yourself as at this day, we have sinned, we have done wickedly. O Lord, according to all your righteous acts, let your anger and your wrath turn away from your city, Jerusalem, your holy hill, because of our sins and for the iniquities of our fathers. Jerusalem and your people have become a byword among all who are around us. Here's 17. Now therefore, O our God, listen to the prayer of your servant and to his pleas for mercy. And for your own sake, O Lord, make your face to shine upon your sanctuary, which is desolate. O my God, incline your ear and hear. Open your eyes and see our desolations in the city that is called by your name. For we do not present our pleas before you because of our righteousness, but because of your great mercy. Here's 19. O Lord, hear. O Lord, forgive. O Lord, pay attention and act. Delay not for your own sake. O my God, because your city and your people are called by your name. That is the petition of prayer. Continuing to recognize, continuing to rehearse the nature and the character of God as the one who sets captives free, right? As the one who hears and sees his people in their time of trouble. Look, look back at verse 19 again. Here's what he says there in 19. O Lord, hear. O Lord, forgive. O Lord, pay attention and act. He says, delay not. For whose sake? For your own sake. Oh my God, because your city and your people are called by your name. This is a big prayer. Like this is not a little prayer. Sometimes I think when we when we pray before God and we ask Him for something, we and, and maybe I shouldn't put this on you. Maybe I'll put on. I'll just. I'll bear the burden of this. Sometimes I think when I pray, I come to God with something like, "God, would you, would you, would you heal up this broken heart over here? Would you bind up that broken heart? God, would you, would you, would you work in this marriage over here? Would you let there be grace and humility? Would you, would you fix? The, like when I pray those prayers, I find myself at the same time thinking, "Is this too big for God?" I forget that Jesus walked up to men who were born blind. I love these illustrations. And when Jesus walked up to men born blind, he just told them to stop being blind. I mean, one of them, he spit on him, which is probably a little bit sketch. He's like, I got just the thing for you. Hold still. 
And like everybody around is like, no. And, and, but the guy's like, oh my goodness, oh, look at that. And, uh, and so that was like, it worked out great in the end. Uh, but, but like he could do that. Remember there was a guy, you remember this story? There was a guy who was dead. Lazarus, that was his name. He was dead. Like so dead that they buried him. And like four days later, Jesus shows up and he's like, where is he? And they're like, where do you, he's in the cave, bro. Like that's where we put him. And, and he's like, move the stone. And the sister's like, whoa, whoa, whoa. He, and I, the King James is the best translation of that still. He's like, oh my Lord, he stinketh. That's what, it, I mean, it's beautiful. It's like, we've lost something in the old English, but he stinketh. Like the sister's like, don't do it. And Jesus is like, he, fine, Lazarus, come out. You know how many people probably, look at this idiot. And what did Lazarus do? Oh, okay. Comes on mummified or whatever, wrapped up in his stuff, just comes out and they're like, oh, better get that stuff off of him. Martha's like, I guess he doesn't stinketh, you know, I don't know. I come to God in prayer and I think this is too big. Like that heart's too broken. Jesus tells dead people, get up, come to me. And they do it. This prayer of Daniel here is a big prayer. Seeing ourselves as we really are. Like recognizing the 200 mile pit that we are in because of our sin. Recognizing our great need might easily cause us to run from God. That's what it could do. Seeing our own sin might make us flee. So often, we, this is what we see when, when people experience difficult seasons in life. Like when we feel small, when we feel guilt, when we feel shame, here's what we do. We tend to hide. You see it in the church all the time. Somebody goes through some hardship in their life. Some sin has impacted their life. And instead of them running to us, they run away from us. Being exposed in our need, being exposed in our imperfection, we tend to pull away from others. And, and we do the same thing with God, right? Like caught in our sin, exposed in our sin, exposed in our self-righteousness, whatever it is, we run from the Lord. And how does God respond to that? Like, how does God respond to our sin? Think about it. This is why we got to keep coming back to God's Word. How does God respond to our sin? How does God respond to your sin? How does the great and awesome God respond to the sin of the world. Think, think back to verses 8 and 9 again. Here's what Daniel prayed. He said, To us, O Lord, belongs open shame to our kings, to our princes, and to our fathers, because we have sinned against you. To the Lord our God belong what? What's it say there? To the Lord our God belong mercy and forgiveness. And so as we sit here today, we're in a different position than Daniel was. As we sit here today, we're not looking forward we're looking backwards to some. So where do we see that mercy and that forgiveness most clearly? I mean, we see it at the cross. That's not a trick question. You're like, is there some new profound thing? I promise it's not. It's just that simple. We see it at the cross. You see, the cross is proof of God's steadfast love and faithfulness to his people. The cross, even today, reminds us of his grace for us Today, it reminds us that God loves his people so much that he sent his son to come and die for us, to take our place, to take our sin, to take our guilt, to take our, to take our shame upon himself, becoming sin for us so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. That's the plea of Daniel in verse 19. O oh Lord, hear. O oh Lord, forgive. 
Oh, Lord, pay attention and act. You know what he's essentially praying right there? He's praying, <laughs> he's praying your will be done. He's calling on the name of the Lord to do what he has promised to do. Daniel looked forward to the coming deliverance and rescue that we look back on today. And today, we, as we sit here right now, we look back on Jesus. The fullest expression of God's greatness and of God's grace. And he becomes the true motivation of our prayers. If we forget the greatness of God, our prayers will always be too small. We'll, we'll think too little about what he is able to do. Like the disciples after the death of Jesus, we'll go back to our old lives, just back in the boat fishing like we used to or, or whatever. As if, God is, as if God is not able to accomplish his will. But if we forget the grace of God, our, our prayers will be too small too. We'll forget not just what God is able to do, but what he was willing to do. Jesus reminds us of both. Both what God is able to do and what God is willing to do for us, for our salvation, for, for his own glory and for our good. Jesus is our motivation in prayer. He's the one who welcomes us. He's the one who saves us. Some of you are going to hear at various times this call to, to read your Bible, to pray, and you're going to hear that as like a burden. You're going to hear that as, a, as something being attached to you, as something you have to do, something you must do in order to be received by God. Please don't hear that. The beauty of the Scripture is that God has spoken to us, that the Creator of the universe is talking to you. Whether you do your time with the Lord in the morning, or your time at lunch, or your time in the evening, whenever you do that, it's God speaking to you through His Word. Let that be the motivation for your prayers. Let that be the motivation for your life of faith. That Jesus, the author and perfecter of that faith, was willing to go to the cross for you. And He's the one who welcomes you in. He's the one who speaks to you today. Daniel seemed to know that. I pray that God would give us that same heart. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, you, you know how often I fail to come to you first. How I wait until things start to fall apart. I wait till I'm exhausted. I wait till I'm on empty. I wait until there's nothing left in me to come to you. Oh, that's a failing on my part. And I pray that you'd break us out of that. Help us. Help us to come running to you daily. Help us to come running to you when things are going well. Help us to come running to you when things are falling apart. Help us to come running to you when... When... I pray that you'd shape and fashion us into men and women of faith. Young men, old men, young women, old women. Help us to be faithful. Help us to hear your voice as you speak to us today. Through your word. And we pray that in Jesus' name. Amen.